Hey everybody, Jay Bidwell here. I wanted to drop this little special episode because, you know, a local boy has been doing some amazing work and way back in August of 2013, he appeared on my old podcast called Call Logs, where I would just do phone interviews. Now, I met Paul Walter Hauser while auditioning for a film that ended up being called Virginia, but at the time was called What's Wrong with Virginia. And he was such a nice guy. We auditioned together so many times that, uh, you know, I followed his career over the last, oh my God, has it been 13 years since that? It has, 13 years. And the boy is just everywhere. Every time I turn my TV on, there he is. Cobra Kai, boom, there he is. Reno 911 came back for a bit on Quibi, which is one of my favorite shows. Boom, there he was. He starred in the film Richard Jewell, directed by Clint Eastwood. And now he has won a Golden Globe for his work on the show Blackbird. So, you know, I figured what better time to revisit this amazing interview. Well, let's be real. It's not really an amazing interview on my end because this actually was the beginning of my podcasting career and I had no flipping idea what I was doing. But <laughs> he was gracious enough to come along for the ride. I wanted to put this out there just to say thank you, Paul, for being a local boy, showing everyone here that it can be done and thank you, of course, for coming on the show, and congratulations on your Golden Globe, and I'm sure it's just the first of many beautiful statues that will grace your mantle. Enjoy this interview from August of 2013 with Paul Walter Hauser. Paul, buddy, what's happening, man? Hey, Mr. Bidwell, how are you doing? Good. How the hell have you been, sir? I haven't seen you in, what was that, 2010, probably? Yeah, or, um, yeah, what was it now? Well, I think the last time I saw you was on set in the bank scene on the last day of shooting, wasn't it? Yes, I, they did They did give me, like, a uh, little part in the bank scene because they felt bad for me. Because you, you, you took my, my role. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I'm glad it was us, though. I remember seeing the yeah. crop of guys. Yeah. At that first call back and thinking like you and I were the ones that were like we knew what the hell we were doing. So it was good. Yeah, we should probably say the film was called it ended up being called Vir Virginia, but when we were auditioning for it it was called I think What's Wrong with Virginia. What's wrong with Virginia, that's right. And it was sort of there was a lot of like buzz around everyone who was kind of auditioning or trying to get involved because Lance Black, the director, Dustin Lance Black, had just won the Oscar for writing Milk. So we yeah. were all like, in our minds, we're like, whoa, this thing might be like some Oscar-nominated movie or something. Like, yeah, all, especially know. around here. That was a big deal. That movie was big, big news around here. And Yeah, it was a pretty big deal. I remember it got down to auditions, and I believe it was you and I were the last two in line for this role, correct? Yeah, it was. We went to that first call back, and I remember you were talking about working on another movie, and uh, I was. I think we were chatty, we were friendly, but I was also kind of like. I remember I was going through the lines in my head, like I was taking it really seriously, but but I, I you were like one of the only people I talked to, and then when I got the call back, I didn't know you were going to be there. It was just <laughs> I knew it was down to me and somebody else, and then when I saw you, I was like, oh, that makes sense. That was the other dude that was. 
that yeah. new stuff. How did you feel going into it, man? Were you like, were you super nervous or were you pretty chilled out? No, I was incredibly nervous. It was one of the, the bigger films that I had auditioned for and certainly one of the bigger parts. And um, especially getting down to just two of us. I mean, that was that yeah. was nerve wracking for me. And I'm sure it was for you, too. But um, I've said many times that if anybody was going to beat me out, I'm glad it was you because you certainly had the confidence and the skill to know what the fuck you were doing on that set. Thank you, man. Yeah, no, it was definitely uh, those those images from being there at that little small like production house and and be waiting outside for like just those painstaking minutes of like, okay, are we gonna find out today? Or are we gonna find out later? Like, that's all etched in my mind. It's like it could have happened yesterday. I feel like we went back multiple times, too. Didn't we go back and we were, like, reading opposite each other, kind of, you'd go in, then I'd go in, then you'd go in, then I'd go in? Yeah, yeah, and the, the second time when it was just us, they brought in Harrison Gilbertson, who I didn't even know had the part. I didn't oh, know who yeah, he yeah. was. I'm like, who's this little Australian kid? And uh, and then I was like, oh, like, we're reading opposite him because that's the kid. That's who's playing Connolly's son, and... Was he cool with you? How did how did your reading go with him? He's a good buddy of mine now, but at the time, I I didn't know what to think of him. I I don't I think I was too nervous to remember exactly how how the reading went, honestly. But I remember I remember them some doing some whispering when I was doing my audition, and they were literally saying that he's too tall, he's too tall because standing next to him, I was I towered over him basically. Oh, they you could hear them say that out loud. I um, they thought they were whispering, but that room echoed. So, yeah, so basic, basically I knew right then that I was fucked because I was like, well, Paul's shorter than I am, first of all, and if they're already like, oh, he doesn't look right next to him, I'm screwed. See, I was, I was sort of the fatter choice and you were the taller choice, and then, yeah, they must have wanted it to match up physically in some way. I, since then I've lost weight. I, was, I think I was 325 there, and, uh, and I'm down to... I mean, you lost a ton of weight. I'm down to about 280, 285 now. Uh, but didn't you lose like a ton of weight after after we shot the movie? I lost. I ended up losing about 200. I had gastric bypass surgery, so I cheated. But uh, um, well, well did, you did it though. You still did it. That's good. Yeah, I've put probably like 50 of it back on though. So I gotta watch what the fuck I'm doing because it's it's not hard. It's not hard yeah. to bring all that weight right back to you. No, it's. I mean. I don't know. They're so frail. Like these little things that we don't think are big deals end up becoming really scary habits, like eating at night or, uh, or I'm trying to think what else. Like there's just a couple of things, like taking out certain things from your diet, like soda. It's such an avoidable, easy thing to and, kick it. It's like, and me, I'm a big drinker. So I'm a big drinker myself. So it's like, oh God, I can't stay away from the beer and the alcohol. Cause I, oh, right. No, I, <laughs> I used to, yeah, I used to be a big drinker, and then at some point I mellowed out on it based on how it made me feel in my wallet as well. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of rough. I like pairing with food now. Do you pair your alcohol with food? That's like my favorite thing to do now. Um, I, I well, because of the gastric bypass, if I eat, I can't really drink. So it's one or really? the other. Yeah. Oh wow! So I like beer. If I eat, I can only have like a half a beer. But if I'm just drinking, it's fine. Yeah. Looks good you can still consume it without being too limited. Yeah, yeah. So what's the podcast uh, about? You just interview people like Marin, like Mark Marin or something? 
I just, um, well, I have a couple different shows. We have the one that you're on right now. We do, we, I call it call logs where I just kind of, and it's kind of open to anybody. Anybody can call in. We chat for an hour. Um, it's turned out to be a lot of entertainers, filmmakers, stuff like that so far. But, um, I really do want to expand it to anybody who wants to call, even if you're a fucking plumber and you know, you just, you're knee deep in shit, whatever, you know, I'd like to chat with you. That's cool. And then we very, have very, um, open and relaxed. I dig that. Yeah, yeah. No, I just, I think that I got bored, first of all, because I really wasn't getting a lot of film roles recently. And this summer I had a lot of free time because my girlfriend moved in with me. So um, I didn't have to work, which was like, okay, this is cool. I don't, you know, we're splitting the bills, but what am I going to do in my free time? I'm not doing anything. So I was like, screw it. I'm not getting film roles. I want to do something in the field. I'm going to start a podcast because that is what no. you do now. That's just, they're everywhere. It is. It's a big deal. So it's, um, it's sort of the new radio. At least it feels like it. It really is, and it's just be you know, it's no one's telling you what to do. There's no rules and regulations yet, as far as I know. And you know, so I started inviting some friends over. Um, me and the girlfriend will do it once in a while, and you know, it's just kind of fun to just shoot the shit about whatever. Yeah, it's a fantastic platform. Definitely something. Uh, I'm too busy now, but if I ever got the time, I'd love to do something like that. Yeah, I mean, w- w- so what have you been up to since I've seen you? You've done, I noticed you did some some very cool projects. You want to talk about some of those? Thanks, yeah. I, you know, I, I moved out finally with some money in my pocket um, after Virginia. I moved to L.A. and That's a big step, man. That, what's up? Was that a terrifying step for you? Um, I mean, I always wanted to make that move anyway. I love Michigan, but I just knew L.A. is the nerve center, and I really, really, really want to do it. It helps to be here, so I I think I was more excited than nervous and probably just very ignorant to how much it costs. Those things could have deterred me from going at all. But, uh, you know, I, I moved into Hollywood, and I started auditioning right away to be my manager, and I booked a CBX pilot, um... It was called Bean Mathers. Uh, it was directed by Larry Charles, who directed uh, Religious and Borat and Bruno and those movies and stuff. Oh, very and, cool. Uh, it was super cool. And it was produced by Mitch Hurwitz, the rest of development creator. So I felt like I was in really good hands, but the, the pilot was kind of too weird for CBS. CBS was kind of known for those three-camera laugh track setups, and this was like a weird Showtime type piece. Were they able to shop um, anywhere else? They tried, you know, but the, some of the guys behind it were British. This guy, Anthony Hines, who's one of the writers for Josh Baron Cohen, he, uh, he took it to Showtime and BBC and some different places, but it just didn't work out. I was bummed, but it was like, it was a good first job because I got to work with cool people. And, uh, and then I, a few months went by and I booked a guest star on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I got to play Richie the Juggalo in this crazy episode where I was, Getting bullied at school and Charlie Day uh, kind of takes me under his wing for the episode. It was it was a lot of a lot of fun. A year before I shot it, I was in college drinking beer with my buddies on the floor of our dorm room, watching It's Always Sunny. So it was cool a year later to be able to <laughs> be on the show and have that. Charlie Day is quickly becoming one of my favorite uh, comedic actors. I seen Horrible Bosses destroyed me, man. I laughed so fucking hard oh, at him man. in that film. He's really, um, I think why people like him is because he's so non-threatening. He can act crazy or he can act wild, but he's so 
kind of scrawny and has a high-pitched voice. It's irresistibly funny, you know? I feel like he went to the Bobcat Goldthwaite School of Voice Acting. <laughs> he's, yeah, seriously. He's, he's like halfway there. Play him in an SNL sketch or something. <laughs> yeah, he's, he was really nice to me. I was, I was worried because I liked the show so much. I'm like, I hope these people don't suck. Mm. And then, uh, Char- like, the second I... I got there, uh, like, a week before I did a costume fitting, and the women who were, like, fitting me for costume, they go, oh, they're shooting a scene right now, you should go say hi. And the fact that I wasn't comfortable doing that, but the fact that they said, I'm like, oh, I guess I'll snoop around the Fox lot and see if I can get a peek at them shooting. Right. And so I, me and my buddy uh, Peter snuck into uh, their sound stage, their studio, and uh, they're shooting a scene with DeVito, and right away Rob McElhenney, who plays... Uh, Mac walked up to me and he goes, Hey man, here, grab some headphones, come watch us shoot the scene with the video and watch the monitor and listen in. So like immediately they were super warm and really friendly and talking about my audition to me, what they liked and why they chose me. So it was, I couldn't have asked for a better setup, you know, as far as funny, nice, welcoming people. Um, I didn't get brought back for any more episodes. I think that was a big bummer. Everybody back in Michigan was like, dude, they gonna bring you back for something? And I'm like, eh, I don't, I don't think so. I think it was just a one-off. But there's still, happy, there's still time, it. right? The show's not gone yet. There's still time. Yeah, I think the ninth season starts airing in like a month, um, and they're con- they're contracted to FX for like ten or eleven seasons. So, so there you go. They, they might have they might have the big finale like Seinfeld did, where they had bring every single side character oh, yeah. back. <laughs> I was just thinking about that the other day. I was like, maybe they'll do the Seinfeld thing where they bring back people. So, that, I mean, cool. that's that's got to be awesome as hell, man. I know sometimes you you know it's scary if you meet somebody you idolize and you enjoy because they can be such dickheads. You know, Kevin Smith likes to tell the story about shooting Cop Out with Bruce Willis and what. Oh, a, I heard about that. I heard he was really like standoffish and mean and stuff. Just apparently, he's just a horrible, horrible person who's only in it for the paycheck. Whereas apparently, the rest of the cast and crew were, you know, trying to enjoy themselves, and he doesn't sure. let that happen. <laughs> yeah, that's that's super lame. I, I know he's been through some painful stuff because of his divorce and and whatnot. So maybe he just he's really jaded or something. That'd be too bad. I know everybody. You know, idolizes him because of diehard and stuff. He's a great mm-hmm. performer, but but I wonder if he does have that kind of smug, thick layer. That sucks. Yeah. Well, it's good to hear that the Always Sunny people were were just always sunny. That's exactly right. Always very sunny. They were <laughs> extremely sunny, and um, and that was a good experience. I had a one liner on Community, the show on NBC with Chevy Chase and Joel McHale. I did see a video uh, you posted or something, I think, on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, it was like a really brief clip, you know, I wasn't on there long, but it was a really good experience, and Ken Jong was really, really nice to me, because I told him I knew uh, Christmas class, McLovin, who he's buddies with, and the second I said that, it's like all day, he was grilling out with me, which was a lot of fun, and um, it was like Nicole Brown, the uh, religious woman in the show, her character's name is Shirley, I think. She and I kind of bonded because we're both religious, and that was, was kind of cool. I got to sit in Chevy Chase's chair, and I asked Danny Cootie, I said, um, am I going to get beat up for sitting in a cast chair? And he goes, no. And he goes, wait, who's is it? I said, Chevy Chase. He goes, if anyone was to beat you up, it would be him. I've, I've heard, like, okay. is he not on the show anymore? I heard there was some bad blood behind the scenes. 
yeah, you know, uh, they did some some shifting around of uh, of who's in charge over a community. I guess they brought back Dan Harmon, the creator, because they fired him, and then they parted ways with Chevy because Chevy Chase would just you know, give him material, and he'd be like, I don't think this is funny. I'm not going to do this. Or he'd begrudgingly do it, and it wouldn't be funny because he'd do it like a, you know, like a sourpuss or a poor sport. He'd just hate the material. That sucks, uh, man. Because I, I would, I used to think that I would love to meet Chevy Chase, but I have heard a lot of reports in the news of that same kind of thing from the set of community and other stuff. Yeah, he, he definitely burned a lot of bridges and definitely kind of just didn't submit to people like he wanted to be in charge of everything and that's not the way this business goes clearly you know Bruce Willis probably the same way like you know Kevin Smith trying to implant his sensibilities comedically and Bruce Willis being like yeah just let me do my thing yeah. some people are like oh. that's unfortunate yeah I, um, I had to leave California for a while I ran out of money after I did a second movie in Michigan called Quad with uh Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad, I played, like, one of his work buddies. I had, like, three or four scenes of them, maybe, like, 20 lines. You know, small but good supporting role. I think but he's I doing another project over here soon. Just, well, what's up? Uh, I, th- I said I think he's doing another project over here pretty soon, actually. Oh, really? i seen a, a, some casting notice, and his name was on there. Oh, I hope so. He's, he's awesome. He's definitely the kind of person... I had a lot of fun working with him, similar to... Charlie Day, where he was just, he was a good buddy on set. But, um, but I ran out of money and I moved back to Michigan for a while. I was back, back home for like a year and a half. And then I moved to Detroit and did some mortgage banking. I moved to Chicago and did some stand up comedy. And then I finally moved back to LA back in January and, uh, and got some stuff going. A web series I just co wrote and co produced and co starring called Kidnappers. And uh, we're trying to shop that around right now to try to get that sold. And then, uh, is that with your comedy group? Things. What's up? Is that with your comedy group? Uh, not really a comedy group. It's like uh, me and my my best friend, this guy Peter Hins, who uh, if you look up Pete Hins and Paul Hauser like on YouTube or whatever, Funny or Die, uh, you'll find some of our videos. He and I were in a comedy duo called Stepdad. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, we did some like. We did some really alternative comedy sketches for a while, and then we, it was fun, and we liked sketch comedy, but we were looking to do something that was a little more, uh, like, could be a property or an entity, like a show. A little more sustainable? uh, Yeah, yeah, something you can pitch a little easier, because sketch comedy isn't very pitchable. You kind of just, you find people that like it or that don't. So we thought, oh, we could play these bumbling kidnappers who are trying to show these people we kidnapped that were good guys, and, uh, and that we're kind of, you know, dumb and dumber where they come by honestly, even though they're idiots. So that, uh, show will be online soon. And then I, I did two sketches for Keen Peel, uh, on Comedy Central. Yeah, I fucking okay. love that show, by the way. Those two, I've been in love with those guys since, uh, Mad TV. Dude, and the funny guys are great, but I'm telling you what, like, Jordan and Keen are two of the best people I've met out here. We have the same manager, and I, when I was in college, I wrote a script for them called Hardly Working. Uh, it was an idea Keegan had of, like, black guys trying to advance themselves in this big corporate business, and, like, the three of them are fighting for a promotion. So I spent, like, a year and a half writing the script uh, for them, 
And we never got it sold, but we became buddies. And then when they finally got their Comedy Central show, they were nice enough to throw me a couple sketches. So I'll be on that, assuming they don't cut the sketches that'll air this fall, too. Yeah, Mad TV had a lot of really, uh, really good performers, but I just, the show never hit me like SNL did as much. Yeah, I don't, SNL, though, it has such lulls, whereas I think Mad TV was more consistent, actually. Oh, I can see that. Yeah, and I think SNL is very hit or miss. Unfortunately, I love I love the show. I'll always watch it. But so they've had some years that were tough to watch, some really really bad years. Uh, and right now they just lost Bill Hader, Fred Armisen, and Jason Sudeikis and Kristen Wiig a year ago. So oh. it's, um, that show is going to be seeing a big restructure. I was supposed to make an audition tape for them to send out for SNL, not that I'm like on your radar, I don't think SNL knows about me, but my manager reps one of their cast members and was like, yeah, you should make an audition, and I was too busy, I produced a Food Network show in Mississippi this summer, and uh, that was freaking nuts, I never want to produce a show until I'm older and can handle that, it's <laughs> I- freaking nuts. I honestly feel like at the audition for Virginia, we kind of talked about your dream of being on SNL. That's been in your head for a while, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, SNL is my dream, but I just, as I get older, I realize how specific it is and how tough it is. So it's not, I don't like to think that I let go of the dream, but I definitely, I sort of realize that, you know, you, you really have to dedicate all your time to sketch comedy if you want to do SNL. Um, That's true. I, I have a lot more passion just for film and writing and performing in general. So I don't know. Maybe I got to try to get famous enough to host it where they ask me to be on and I don't have to audition. Who knows? Yeah, I guess if you were famous enough to be hosting it, then they if you were like, let me be on the show, they'd be like, okay, fine, no problem. Yeah, right. <laughs> and they've done that in the past too, by the way. They, uh, they reached out to like Dane Cook and Johnny Knoxville and a, a handful of people that were like becoming big. And offered them a spot, and they, like, turned it down. Really? Dane Cook turned reason. down SNL? That's surprising. I think so. Maybe that's some IMDb crap that I read and I think is true and isn't. I tend to do that sometimes. I've uh, One person from SNL that I've been reaching out to in attempts to get on the podcast, who I loved for many years, was uh, Don Novello. Do you know who he is? Don Novello. I he, know the name. What did he do? He is most famous for playing Father Guido Sarducci. I don't know. It just seems like he seems like such a funny dude and such a real dude. Oh yeah. And I, I just no, think he's th- probably super cool. I'm sure. And I, he, I mean, he hasn't done a whole lot, but that character just kind of took off. Like he started doing it during stand up, I believe. And um, you know, the, as a kid, we saw the movie Casper. Everyone saw Casper, and he was in that movie for that one bit where he comes in and as the Exorcist, and of course he comes out with his head turned backwards. Yeah, and then he did, like, Married with Children. So, I don't know. It just seems like that he would be a fun dude to talk to, especially if I could talk to him as Father Guido. Yeah, you'd, you'd have to see if he'd be willing to transform for you and do that. I, know I he, think he's probably one of those guys that uh, that kind of had, like, a run where you were popular for a while, and then you kind of, to stay relevant, you can either fade out or you can fight for it. I don't know if he was one of those guys that was fighting for the career. I know on um, his webpage he like he does a lot of college appearances, but of course they charge for him. 
So, uh, well, how about your stand-up? How, what kind of experiences did you have doing stand-up? Was it amazing? Um, I, I started doing stand-up when I was 16, um, and I, I just would do local places in my hometown, like, uh, opening for a concert, or, uh, when I say concert, I mean, like, a local band, not, like, right. Stone Temple Pilot came to town, and I was opening for them, um, but no, I... I used to do stuff at coffee shops and little concert venues, and then when I uh, moved out of state, you know, I did it at college, and then I, when I lived in Chicago last year, I was doing stand-up almost every week, and I like doing it. Like, it's um, it's kind of you saying what you're thinking to a big group of people, and you hope that it's funny, and I didn't really have much of an act as far as, like, I didn't talk about sex or race or, like, anything interesting. I kind of just talked about, like, random crap. Um, I don't know. I don't think I'm the best stand-up comic in the world, but I I think it's sort of a cool... And I've said this before to people. It's like exercising a muscle. Right. You get up there. You got to perform. You got to get past the nerves. And, you know, the cool thing is, is doing stand-up has made me feel more comfortable when I auditioned. So if you can do stand-up and tell jokes in front of 40 people or 200 people or 1,000 people, when you get in the casting room and they're like, all right, you're auditioning for Four Lines and Burn Notice, and there's me and a camera. It's like, you don't kind of let it fall. You don't really care, you know? Stand-up seems like it would be fun. I'm kind of a strange person in that I feel like I'm more comfortable around strangers if I have nothing ready as opposed to something ready. And I think... It's because, like, if they know I rehearsed something and I'm bad at it, then I'm just bad at it. But if I'm just me yeah. and I'm bad at it, then it's just like, oh, he was just nervous. <laughs> Does that make sense? I think there's a ton of truth to that. <laughs> I think, like, in general, if you're just, like, riffing, they're like, oh, if this is even marginally funny, right. it's impressive because he's coming up with it. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> you show up with, like, ten minutes of rehearsed stuff and it bombs. Yeah. Everybody's looking at you like, dude, you're wasting your life. <laughs> and I'm actually, oh, I was, I was supposed to thank you for actually moving to California because I've actually, I've probably gotten a lot more uh, film projects since you left because you were my, you were my arch, arch nemesis, you know. That's what I was waiting to hear. <laughs> you never did send me a thank you card for pretty much giving you the state of Michigan. No, man, I, uh, I, part of me wishes I could have stuck around and. And he kept doing Michigan projects. I was lucky enough to do two films there. But, uh, yeah, that incentive, that tax incentive was apparently too good to be true, huh? Yeah, I don't know what Schneider is doing. I, I can, I never voted for that man. Let me just say that. He is ripping yeah. us apart. <laughs> yeah, I, I worked with Jeff Daniels one day on Quad, the Aaron Paul movie, and, uh. I heard he was fucking pissed at this man. He was so, well, he came in really pissed off. For one, I think he kind of did the film slightly as like a, a favor, like jumping in like, yeah, I'll, I'll do three days on your indie movie and make no money. Um, but the other half was he walked in and he was talking to us about how he talked to Schneider and how he wasn't budding on anything. And you could tell he was super pissed because this is what he had worked for for a while. A lot of Michigan people were hoping this would happen. And, uh, yeah, you could just tell by his face that it wasn't going well. That he knew that it was probably coming to an end. 
I don't know how much truth is in it, and I didn't follow the election that closely, but I had heard that um, Daniels was actually fighting for Schneider's election because he was promised certain incentives and other film stuff. That would make sense as far as him being pissed off. And then I um, guess, you know, Schneider gets into office and cuts off all the all the promises. Yeah. Well, in politics as usual, saying, okay, we're not... We're not getting rid of something, we're just going to find another way to do it. Um, and then pretty much getting rid of it, you know, he found another way to do it. Michigan still does get projects. I mean, Jim Jarmusch had a film there, Gosling is shooting a movie there right now. But um, but it's not what it used to be, man. We had like Avengers and Batman coming to, to Michigan at one point, and then uh, Snyder scared him off. It's tough to just lose projects that are... Uh, could have been a big deal. Yeah, I've definitely had a decline since he's come around, and uh, it's unfortunate. But, you know, I'll take my student films and I'll take my, you know, indie films, because, I mean, that's that's where the fun is anyway. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's, it's also about just if you really love it, you're going to find a way to do it. You know, if for some reason, God forbid, if this doesn't work out, and I'm just the guy who did a couple projects that people may have seen. I never used to do it again. I'll still, you know, I'll still do theater, I'm sure. I'll still make short films. I'll find a way to do it, even if I can't do it on the scale that I'd hoped for, you know? You know what the great thing is? that You and I, we have personality. So even if we don't get huge, huge until we're older, we're going to be that funny old man. That's what I'm saying, man. We're going to... style. <laughs> People love a good character actor, man. And if we can have personality and be fucking just decrepit and funny, ah, screw it. Yeah. Who cares if you're I'm 75? I'm decrepit and funny, so I'm hoping you can talk. No, it's, you know, a lot of people got really famous towards what would seem to be the point you would cut off a career, and then their career ended up blossoming. You know, Paul Giamatti, Craig Robinson, Pat Galsnakis, uh... Jeremy Renner, they're all late bloomers. So if you really love and want to do it, sometimes you must stick around longer than you, your conscience tells you you should. You know? In film, you never know if you're ever going to see your work. Yeah, no, that's... um, I would say that's maybe my number one pet peeve and gripe with acting at all, is that you might do something. My buddy experienced this recently, my buddy PD. He did like three or four short films or sketches for people, and now none of them have come out. And he's kind of like, oh, like I, I need this for my reel. I need this for visibility. You know, I need this just to continue forward. And, and it's tough when you're in post-production hell. I mean, you saw that with Virginia. That, you know, we shot that two and a half years before it came out, three years ago. Yeah, almost. I can, I cannot imagine. I mean, I had all but given, I don't mean, you were a huge part of that film, but I was in one scene and I was like, man, I, I wish I could see the one scene just so I could, you know, be like, oh yeah, it really happened. Because I don't right, know if, if, right. you, if you're like me, I don't even tell people about movies or projects that I do until they're done and over with. Because first of all, you'll, you'll be signed on for a project They'll lose funding, cancel it, whatever. They'll recast. They'll change the script, and then so you know you might two months from now be like, oh yeah, I'm going to shoot this scene, and all of a sudden you're not doing this movie anymore, and then it's like, you no, know, I learned that the hard way. I mean, I I'm a blabbermouth. The second anything remotely good happens to me, I get excited and I 
tell everybody. Me too, man. And uh, after a half a dozen somewhat big letdowns, I was like, okay, time to climb up and chill out and keep, you know, keep that excitement, keep gratefulness, but don't broadcast it. So yeah, it sucks when you of a check or something. It sucks when you tell all your friends like. I'm going to be in this World War II epic. It's going to be amazing, and I'm playing a soldier, and this and that. And then all of a sudden, yeah. oh, they changed the character, and they got rid of that scene. So now my friends are like, oh, you say so you're a liar? No, because your friends who don't understand film, they don't, you know, they don't know what the hell happens. They don't know that that is a real thing, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I, I booked, like, three small co-stars back in the spring, and, like, a week I booked an ABC pilot, with Larry Charles, so I was going to get to work with him again. I booked another NBC pilot um, that had, like, maybe more or something, and then the, and then I booked the one-liner on How I Met Your Mother. So, like, I was cloud nine, so like, holy crap, this is, like, the greatest week of my life. <laughs> and then within 48 hours, maybe 72 hours, I was told that all three parts have been written out. Oh, God. See, that I is the most miserable. one of them. One of them, we did a table read for all the ABC execs, so they had to pay me because we went that far, but I was just, like, crippled emotionally, like, good God, this is not a cool lesson to learn. <laughs> like, I get that I'm earning my stripes, so to speak, but this is, like, it sucks too, painful, man. Cause it's like, like, emotional, emotionally, it's worse emotionally than financially. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like I said, you know, your, your friends outside of the business, they don't understand that that you know, they think you're a liar, but I've had that encounter many times where they're like, oh, you lied about that? Yeah. No, I didn't lie about it. It just got canceled, you know? It didn't happen, yeah. They're like, well, how does a project get canceled? I'm like, I, I, it's just Hollywood, man. It happens all the damn time. How does anything get canceled? I mean, sometimes, and that's the thing, too, is it's a miracle anything gets made nowadays because you can have famous people attached to your movie, and it just it doesn't matter. There are a million different things that can go wrong. I remember... Maybe five to ten years ago, there was a project that was supposed to happen um, with Denzel Washington and Benicio Del Toro. I think Antoine Fuqua, the training day guy, was going to direct a uh, some movie about like a pimp or like a mobster. And he had Del Toro and Denzel attached. And uh, the movie fell through, but because those guys had committed to the project and attached their names, mm -hmm. legally they had to be paid their quote. Oh, so damn. like 20 million went to Denzel and whatever they paid Benicio, five or 10 mil to them for not even acting in the film. The film didn't get made. Oh, it was called Superfly. It was like based off that guy, Superfly or whatever. But Holy to think shit. that like the project fell apart and then like say 20 to 30 mil was still paid out. I mean, that's a film budget in and of itself. The Hangover cost $30 million, and they had to pay that out just to actors. So, like... I could make like 15 movies for that. <laughs> Nutty. God damn. I mean, I got cast in this kid's show. So, there's supposed to be a kid's show about a little robot boy, and his best friend was a dog. And That's I, awesome. I, got, I was the second lead going to play this dog named Spike, and they, they built me the suit. They built the robot, and I went to Detroit, and I, you know, there's a photo of me on my Facebook... And I think on jbidwell.com, um, of me in the dog suit, just like, yay. And it was like a fitting, you know, and they were like, all right, we're going to start shooting next month. 
And then next thing you know, the project loses its funding, and I've never heard from any of them again. <laughs> it's like, oh, man. you went through all the trouble of building all the building the star of the show, this robot who I assume moved. I mean, I didn't see it operate, but I, it looked like it was a real robot, you know? Right, it still looks like they went through a lot of trouble, and that's always... just makes me question, like, how did you go this far and not know that it wouldn't have happened? Like, I, you know, I would have cut off X amount of things knowing that it wouldn't happen rather than go that far and waste people's time and money, you know? I guess the whole the whole budget went to them building my dog suit, apparently. <laughs> yeah, you had to demand that dog suit. You had to have that. God. Had you not been so selfish with the dog suit, I that know. movie would have been made for that show. I'm a horrible person. God darn it. All right. All right, man. Some things we can't budge on. It's in my contract that I need Nutella... Waffles <laughs> on set every day at seven forty six, not seven forty five, and um, I need it while getting a nutrition massage. And I don't think that's so much to ask. Please don't become one of those douchebags. Please don't become oh one of those douchebags. <laughs> I don't think I look the part to be one of those douchebags. I can never pull it off. I'd be like, "Can I get Nutella?" And someone would just slam the door in my face. What the hell is Nutella? You're stupid. <laughs> yeah, well, out here in LA, that's. I was joking around with somebody. Nutella to healthy people is like a is like a naughty snack. Like I'm gonna be naughty. I'm gonna have a spoonful of Nutella. It's so bad. It's like if I'm being naughty, I'm being naughty. Like naughty to me is like a whole DiGiorno, <laughs> yeah. a bottle of Coke, and like a bag of you know mini size Snickers. That would be like ODing to a thin person in LA. Oh, to me, naughty is 14 hookers and a bottle of Jack Daniels. I guess we lead very different lives. Well, you didn't let me finish. <laughs> oh, my bad. That comes after the pizza because you feel alone and you're staring at the box and you, you need company. <laughs> so, we, just talked, we just talked ourselves into a really dark corner. we got to get out of this. No, this is how this show works, sir. By the end, you'll be crying and just like, I oh, miss God. my mommy. And you'll move back to this Michigan is more immediately. Of a therapy session than anything else. Yeah, welcome to Jay's okay. couch. <laughs> yep. So, uh, doing. <laughs> okay, stand up wise, did you meet a lot of the big stand ups of the day? Um, I didn't work with as many as I met. You know, when I moved to LA, I did the comedy store a few times, and I've probably done the comedy store like five times, the main room twice, and then the upstairs beginners room like three times, and. Uh, and that's fun. I got to meet Chris Tucker briefly, and I got to meet Roddy Piper, who was there one night. The wrestler, oh, nice. I'm a big wrestling fan, so that was cool. Um, I just know him from They Live. They Live, man. That's <laughs> how everybody knows him from. <laughs> um, I, also, I've been friendly with like Bobby Lee from that TV. He and I, every time we see each other, oh, man. pinch my nipples or poke my fat. Um, when you see him again, can you tell him that um, Tank Tank made my made my day every week because that was the funniest shit ever. Chang? Tank on uh, Mad TV. Tank the wasn't oh, he the? Tank. <laughs> I'll tell him that. That was the the dude with the the what he ha- what kind of car did he have? Uh, I forgot. There was a, the bit was the, his car was impressive, but he would have somebody hide in the trunk doing the hydraulics. <laughs> oh, Daywoo! That's awesome. He's Tank. This is Tank, and look, look at my Daywoo. He, um, she was friendly to where, like, some stand-up comics are really mean. A lot of them are, actually. Um, and she was always, you know, jokey and friendly. 
which is maybe part of a sketch background too. Sketch people are usually more joking friendly and want to do. This. I remember I said Bobby Lee did some did some sex joke about like having sex as a like samurai. It was something like uh, what do you call it? Like them doing grunting noises and stuff where it was like part of the gag, but like they could also be grunts like in an action movie or something. And uh, I took them aside afterwards. Like I had some idea for how to end the joke. Like I thought there might be a better tag for the end of his joke or something. And part of me was like, is this douchey? Like telling another comic, hey, this is what I think would be good writing for you. I sort of was like, oh, I'll just, I'll just say it, you know, just be friendly, just, you know. <laughs> no motives or anything. And he genuinely, like, listened and was like, oh, that doesn't work because I'm doing a bit earlier and, like, da 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 And so, like, you can tell he comes from a collaborative background from, like, Mad TV. So he's not one of these uptight stand-up guys. Um, and Jeff Ross is really nice, too. If you ever meet Jeff Ross, he'll talk to you for, like, 10, 15 minutes. He's super cool. I'm, I have his book I've been meaning to read for a while. I'm sure it's hilarious. I love his um, him on the roasts and shit. Mm-hmm. He's a uh, he's still yeah. the roastmaster general, I believe, of the Friars Club, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they're roasting. Uh, they doing out? They're doing James Franco next for Comedy Central. Yeah, they're gonna roast James Franco, which is like the easiest roast ever. That's gonna be a freaking nut job. He did General Hospital out of nowhere. He's uh, he's played like. That porn star, Sonny, he uh, does all these art projects. He went back to school at NYU when he was doing fine. He's done a bunch of horrible movies. Like He's incredibly talented, but there's so much to make fun of because of uh, I'm sure they're trying to wear all these different hats and stuff. They're probably doing it so they can get the entire cast of, um, what was that movie, This is the End, <laughs> to be mm-hmm. on the roast. Because you know they're going to agree to do it if their buddy's up there. Which would be great, you know? I would love to see Rogan and Joan and all those people make fun of them. It would be hilarious. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So, um, did I see you have some movie coming out with, um, um what the fuck, Justin Long? Yeah, I, um, I did, I had a one-liner on an internet movie called I Skis. It was produced by FunnyOrDie.com and it was shot in like five or six days. That's a full, like, Oh, hello. It seems we had some technical difficulties. Jay, I'm sorry. Liam Neeson called. He was on the other line. I had to take it. Oh, yeah? Did no, he, that's not true. Did he, tell you, did, he, was, did he tell you how big his cock was? He, Liam Neeson said he had a certain set of skills, and then I, I hung up because I've heard that he played <laughs> very uh, Yeah, I was just like, hello? Uh-oh. I guess I'm talking to myself here. I'm sorry. I was. I. I told some story about uh, the Justin Long movie to myself. I assume. Um, I heard you got up to. Um, I did a one-liner for I Steve. It was a feature. A feature film shot in like a couple days, and then it was just nope, dead. My bad. It's um. Yeah, it was a funnier guy movie making fun of all the Steve Steve Jobs biopics that were coming out. Okay. Uh, there's one that Kutcher's doing, and there's one that Aaron Sorkin's doing, and. So funnier guy was like, oh, we'll make a fake trailer. And then at some point in the meeting, somebody said, well, why don't we just do a feature? How funny was that? Be? So I got <laughs> to see Jorge and Justin Long. It was super fun. It was really cool. No kidding. That's not, yeah, that sounds like a good time. He seems like a down-to-earth dude. 
Jeff Malone was really nice. He knew everybody's name on set, and he was joking around with everybody, and, uh, and very great. Does your ultimate goal to have a like a sitcom or a, just a just a movie career, or a little bit of both? I think the ultimate goal is. I mean, a sitcom saves you financially. People like the supporting actors in The Office, like they never have to work again if they don't want to. Right. That, um, that would be amazing. <laughs> finan- yeah, financially and selfishly, it'd be sweet to get a, a sitcom or a summer or something. But um, my my actual goal is just to keep acting in films especially I like movies I love television but I like movies more and um, I hope to keep doing that and then I'm also I've been writing screenplays so I like to be, I'm chopping at the bit to try to sell something or get something set up and produced um, obviously Kickstarter and Indiegogo you know it helps I've been talking to a lot of people about those yeah it's, it's you know now it's kind of being monopolized yeah, I've heard um, a lot of people are telling me to stay away from Kickstarter, strangely enough, and I thought that was a, a good route to go, but apparently Indiegogo has a better uh, uh, better rep. That's probably true as far as what you're talking, reputation, but if you're going to do Kickstarter ever, you have to do it now before it gets worse. Um, I think this is like prime time to do it because um, like a year from now it will be covered and some of your favorite filmmakers will be on there trying to get their movies financed. Supposedly Super Troopers uh, the Broken Lizard guys want to make a Super Troopers sequel and Fox was like you know because Fox Searchlight put out the original they're like oh yeah we'll distribute it but you have to raise 15 million dollars privately on your own which is just garbage. I mean for one to ask fifteen million dollars on Kickstarter, if they do that, that's ridiculous. But uh, well, I mean, yeah, Zach, because you got Zach Braff doing it, you got the Veronica Mars people did it. It's yeah, Spike Lee, just stupid. Um, hopefully, Super Troopers find their money. I love that first movie, but uh, like, how dumb is Fox? Like, Super Troopers is such a heralded cult comedy. You put out a sequel, you can't make back fifteen million. Are you stupid? Like. How hard is that? Um, but I don't know. I'm not, I don't work in the studio system. I heard they were doing the sequel to uh, Beer Fest as well. They were going to do like Pot Fest or whatever. Oh, uh, yeah. Some people, I think, really like Holly for that, really wanted that. But uh, I think they kind of realized that movie had some funny parts. But nothing they've done has really matched what Super Troopers was, which is like a wholly creative uh entity you know well i mean that was the one that we all really were introduced to them because no one saw puddle cruiser <laughs> i mean nobody, nobody knew what the hell that was i bought puddle cruiser did you see it before super troopers though no no i thought actually you're right exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh so um what kind of stuff are you writing are you not wanting to say or no no i'm, I'm fun to talk about. I'm not one of those people that's like, they're going to steal stuff. I mean, they're always going to steal stuff. But, um, I'm working on this, uh, thing actually about kidnappers. That's, um, myself, my buddy, Pins, um, my buddy, Adam Asaraf, really talented writer, director, over a funny guy. He directed the pilot. And, um, our executive producer, co-creator is this guy, Chris Whale, who's a writer, producer for Ang. Um, really great guy. We met at church out in Sherman Oaks here. And he's like, yeah, I want to 
do something with you. And I said, oh, I got this kidnapper's idea. And he funded our pilot, which was amazing. It was us being able to skip Kickstarter and Indiegogo. This guy was just like, here's the way to make it. And uh, it was a pretty amazing experience. I'm really proud of our work and hoping that gets out there. And then I I wrote a feature with my buddy Brian Husky. Uh, did you see this? This is the end? I heard you mention it earlier. I did, yeah. Do you remember the guy who sticks his head in the, uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, it's like your ears. He sticks his head in, like, the, uh, the door and, and they see it get flopped off and they kick around. Yeah. That's one of my writing partners, this guy, Brian Husky. Really, oh, nice. really funny character. He does a lot of comedy. He and I wrote a script for two years called The Cartoonist, and we just got Lake Bell attached to direct, and Lake Bell had a film at Sundance called In a World that got picked up and is coming out soon. I just so seen like, her on that, Conan that, talking about that film, and is that her first feature directing? Yeah, it was her first like debut, and everybody loved it. I haven't seen it yet, but... um. You know, my buddy Keegan from Key and Peel, he saw it and was like, oh, she's amazing. You're so lucky to have her on board. And I just and watched. Other buddies were yeah, I just seen her on Conan talking about that film. But um, really, I just seen her in that, what is it called? Um, Good Old American Orgy or something, where she was in that. Oh, yeah. With, she, uh, she yes, that movie. that movie was hysterical. And I, I can't believe I hadn't seen it before, but that cast was, was brilliant together. Yeah, it was funnier than I thought it'd be. I mean, the subject matter is going to be a tough sell anywhere you go, but right. uh, but no, there there were there were some very funny parts in those. Funny. I got those going, and then I'm uh, just a million other scripts, old ones, new ones. I just wrote a TV pilot called Pastoral about pastors because I come from a very religious background, so it's I know a lot of pastors, and and I'm trying to write a story about what that life is like. A lot of people look at Christians like they're they're homophobic, they're psychotic, they, they boycott funerals. You know, I'm trying to trying to just depict uh, sort of your average, normal American uh, Christian, not in a scary light, you know? Right. Um, so hopefully some one of those pans out. You know, I look at writing and acting, and now producing I just got into. I produced a Food Network show that starts airing next week on Food Network. It's called The Shed. Oh. And then I produced this web pilot that kidnappers. And doing all this stuff and keeping overly, overly busy, I just look at it like it's a dartboard, and I just have to throw as many as I can until I hit the bull. You know, that's all there is to it, man. It's all about it's all about networking and having enough content to where somebody goes, "Wow, that's brilliant." Yeah, hopefully, you know, you find that person that has sort of a creative synergy with you, um, which is tough. You know, find something you find brilliant that nobody else does and that can that can be a bummer but Darren Aronofsky said it best uh, Aronofsky for those that don't know he directed Black Swan Reckless for a Dream The Wrestler a lot of these alternative dark films but he said going into filmmaking he knew that he knew that his weird sensibilities would match up with a giant audience sensibilities and eventually he found that audience and now he's freaking directing a Noah's Ark movie with Russell Crowe, you know, so so the people, anyone who is listening who is a creative person that thinks what they do might not be in line with the industry or with what's popular, um, do what you do to the fullest and do the best version of you and uh, the right people will find that, you know. Amen, brother. 
Now, you being a Facebook friend with you, I do realize, I didn't realize when I met you, but you are a very spiritual person and, you know, you tend to talk about um, religion a lot. Now, when you're writing, you know, we live in a world where, you know, vulgarity and sex sells. How does that affect your writing, your, your spirituality? Um, you know, there's some stuff I really enjoy, um, that I kind of borderline on. Like, I, I think shows like The League and South Park are very funny, but every once in a while I'll be watching it and something just offends me and I'll be like, ah, I gotta change the channel. It's not that I, I don't think I'm a square, I don't think I'm above watching those, that stuff occasionally, but, uh, you know, you draw a line, like, this is the end. I thought this is the end was hysterical. I thought it was really funny. But I also was like, wow, like, that and, like, The Hangover 3 and a lot of comedies that come out now, it's like they, they push the envelope pretty far, man. Like, I, I don't know if they'll see a rated R movie that doesn't have a couple full frontal nudity parts of men or women or, like, a million jizz jokes or whatever. Like, it's just, uh, some of that stuff's funny, but I kind of, I still harken back to the stuff that made me laugh when I was a kid. I haven't really changed much, which is, Tommy Boy and The Jerk with Steve Martin and uh, even dumb stuff like Ernest movies. I love that shit. And uh, and I kind of just realized that my sense of comedy and my sensibilities sometimes are a little more mild, I guess you could say. So I, I kind of adjust accordingly. Uh, yeah, it must have been, you mentioned Hangover 3, it must have been weird meeting King Jong, uh, Ken Jong and saying, oh, I've seen your dick three times, that's weird. Seen your wiener, dude. <laughs> no, yeah, thankfully we didn't talk about that, but um, <laughs> but he was, yeah, he's a very, very sweet guy, and even the community was a good example. The episode I was in was called Ancient, um, Ancient People, no, Messianic Myths and Ancient Peoples, like it was about a religious documentary Abed was doing. And, uh, and on the set of that show, like, we we're all supposed to bow down to Abed in the scene. He's dressed like Jesus. And, you know, the joke was kind of funny, but, like, because I believe in Jesus, because that's a real part of my faith, I, uh, I didn't bow down. So there were, like, one or two takes of me and 30 other people and everyone in the cafeteria scene bowed down. And I just stood. I stayed in character. I was still, like, adoringly looking at him and, like, clapping or smiling or, holding myself, whatever I was doing, something funny, I would hope. But I, I, I wouldn't bow down to him in the scene. That's interesting. Um, yeah, and it wasn't like me being super defiant. I wasn't going to be like, I disapprove of this, I'm above this. It was more like me just like, ah, I don't think I can comfortably do this right now. And, uh, and no one no one was, you know, mean to me or took me aside. Everybody was like, whatever, it's cool, you're doing your thing. And on the and, opposite, uh, on the opposite end of the spectrum, I was that little douchebag kid in school who wouldn't say the Pledge of Allegiance because it said under God. <laughs> and oh I, wow! Yeah, I was that little asshole. I, I mean, I'm not a very, I'm not a very spe- spiritual person. Just uh, the, the life that I've led, I don't really have a, um, a, not not necessarily a need for it, but I don't have evidence of it or you know, proof of it personally. So. Yeah. And, and even at a young age, I was like, you can't make me say this. You can't make me say. And they were like, God damn oh, this kid. Yeah. They had their hands full of you. I was, I was, I was a pretty good kid, although I pissed off some teachers. I, my dad was a pastor, so I think that's like, that's like one of those things where you want to rebel because you think people might think you're holier than thou and then you, you know, you pull your pants down and prove you're not. That's often the um, case, though, is, yeah, the... The preacher's daughter will often be the most rebellious. 
Yeah, she's the one running to get pregnant, and everyone's terrified. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it's, uh, no, Pace is, Pace is one of those things I like talking about because I, I don't see it as a dividing line for me and other people. Um, that's the scary thing about politics. I, I don't follow politics closely, and it's not because I don't care. It's because I know the government's always going to be corrupt, even when they have good intentions. And I know both sides are going to do things I despise. I'd rather take part in people's lives and not try to follow all the things that are out of my grasp and out of my control, I guess. Um, and religion, I try to look at the same way. Like, religion, you know, we don't have to agree on anything, but uh, we still have to coexist and love each other and, you know, God forbid, under understand each side, you know? With politics, I find that they often look at the big picture and they will take the most corrupt tiptoes to get there it doesn't really matter how they're they're not thinking about the moment they're thinking about the future which is not always a great idea yeah look at that snowden thing that guy is on the run because he he leaked you know information about people spying on us and tapping our phones and everything i mean we all knew that was going on anyway that should not have been a shock to anyone to me i'm not i'm not as grossed out by what what was uncovered as I am about how they're now handling it, which is this guy is, this guy is, you know, he, he's bad for our country. He's a bad representation. He's, he's turned on us. He's gone rogue. Like, did he or was he just doing the right thing and now we're going to punish him for it because we didn't want to get caught, you know? It's a confirmation of, you know, things that we all believe to be happening anyway, really. <laughs> right, right. It's just taking the blindfold off pretty much. Yeah, and that's why I like being religious, too, is like when scare tactics happen and people tend to freak out or try to bloviate, I'm just like, well, I believe in God, so I don't, I'm not going to try to control everything and we'll let it happen. And that, that happens, too, you know, actors, I don't know how actors live out here and aren't religious. I'm impressed by those that don't need a faith base because you deal with so much rejection, uh, it can be really lonely. There's a lot of uncertainty, and I, you know, daily I try to pray and just be like, look, God, I don't know what's going on today. Today might kick my butt, uh, <laughs> strangle me emotionally. I might have one of those weird days where you get a part and it gets ripped away or something, but I, I got to find a way to keep going. Uh, I got to keep doing this because I, this is what I love, you know? And you're finding that too. You're like, well, you love entertainment. You love, you know, being in in the spotlight, like, well, how can you do that? Well, a podcast is the perfect way to get to use your sense of humor and your, your love of entertainment and stuff. Yeah, and it's free, damn it. Yahoo! It's free. <laughs> Who the frick doesn't like free, man? <laughs> I'm a Dutch Who's boy. I love free. Slurpee on July 11th when they're handing them out for free. Yeah, or uh, DQ and their hot dogs. Oh. Don't get me started on DQ hot dogs. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh- they ruined my marriage. <laughs> That's uh, not true. Which one? <clears throat> um, they ruined my third marriage. Oh. What were you saying? I'm sorry. I don't even remember. Um, where can people find you? You know, if there's anybody who wants to contact you, are you open to fans or job seekers or um, hiring people? Yeah. I can't speak words, I'm, but I'm open to anybody who wants to be friends. Um, yeah, I'm always, you know. I try to be the person that will read a script if somebody sends it or at least give advice. You know, I'm certainly not, I'm not a celebrity. I'm not 
killing it out here, but I've done some stuff, and I always want to help when I can. So, To the people um, who love you, sir, you are a celebrity. Thank you. You're my celebrity, artist formerly known as Heathius. Um, <laughs> thank you. You, you, can, uh, you can reach me at paulwalterhauser at gmail, my full name at gmail, um, or on Facebook. And, uh, and yeah, I got a couple sketches on Key and Peele. I hope they air this fall. I think they will. Next week. I never um, miss that I show. Dude, it's freaking hilarious. Those guys deserve everything that's finally coming to them. Absolutely. Um, and then I, I produced a Food Network show called The Shed. It's about a, fam- a barbecue family in Mississippi that starts airing next week, August 5th. I hope you guys will watch that. And uh, what else? Look for Kidnappers, our web series. That should be coming up soon. And uh, I also did a, a part on a USA Network pilot presentation. It's a really funny guy. Um Oh my gosh, am I going to forget his name? I hope Fred Goss. That's Fred Goss. <laughs> that could have been bad. Uh, that could have been really bad. He wrote and directed um, this USA Network pilot called HR, Human Resources. And he's directed for Modern Family, New Girl, a bunch of shows. The guy is super, super funny. And uh, I'm hoping that pilot gets picked up because he, he took me aside and was like, hey, if uh, this gets picked up, will you bring me back to play this character? So I got my fingers crossed. And I have an audition tomorrow for How I Met Your Mother, so... Oh, man, I'm my, hoping, my girlfriend hoping is obsessed with that, that show. Everybody I know loves it. I've only seen a few episodes, but I... You know, it's good. Every episode I've seen is good, and it's in its last season, so even though it's it's like a three-line pizza delivery role, I would love to book that and be able to say I was on it, so we'll see. Well, I, I congratulate you, sir, on all your success. I'm, I'm honestly, you, if anybody was going to beat me out for a role, I'm glad it was you because you certainly deserved it. Thank you, man. And thank you for being a part of my journey and for always being supportive and funny and, uh, and involving me in what you're doing. So, um, so yeah, we'll keep in touch, man. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, uh, whether you know it or not, I've been following you for years, man. I watch your Facebook, and I, I, I quietly applaud for you from the from the back of the room. So, congratulations, sir. Hey, you're the best, man. God Thank- bless you, and uh, let's do this soon here. Yeah, we'll do it again, man. Talk to you soon. Thanks, dude. Peace. Yeah, bye. Bye.